Hi, and welcome to Research Talks, a podcast series that explores how research is making an impact on people and policies, with a focus on the how, brought to you by the International Food Policy Research Institute, IFPRI. I'm your host, Sivan Youssef. In this episode, we're talking about how COVID has changed the way researchers do their work, especially when it comes to conducting primary surveys. In the state of Gujarat in India, one team of researchers has shifted from doing interviews with women in person to doing them over the phone. If you have a speakerphone on, then more women report that their husband or any other primary male member uh, is the one who decides how to spend her income or his income. But if your phone speaker is off, then she reports herself as the major decision maker with regards to that. That is Shweta Gupta, and she's a research analyst at IFPRI, based in New Delhi, India. I'm mostly working under the project called CISA, or Serial System Initiative in South Asia, which aims to develop um, agriculture intensification technologies um, and improve the policy environment to facilitate the same thing. A big part of Shweta's job is going to the field and collecting, or training enumerators to collect, household data. That is how they get a snapshot of how people survive in poor environments, whether they have access to healthy foods, have stable livelihoods, and other things that make up human well-being. Do you do a lot of surveys in your work? Yes. So all of our um, studies that we have been doing so far have been primary surveys, and most of them have been the primary surveys of farmers. I mostly make sure that the questionnaire is well-tested, well-written um, up, easier to understand. That's how we begin and go on field. In March of 2020, when COVID hit, Shweta's research portfolio completely changed. Right from fertilizers to micronutrients and agriculture, which had been mostly uh, my area of research in which I had been working. Now I am working in a project which is totally different and uh, looks at how the pandemic is affecting uh, women. And especially women who are not just farmers, but those who are employed in various kinds of occupations, like those who are working at home, those who are working as laborers, and so on. To get access to rural women, Shweta and her colleagues reached out to the Self-Employed Women's Association, which is a non-governmental organization, an NGO, based in Gujarat, India. The association acts as a trade union for women in all different types of occupations all over the country. This is my first project in which I have been working directly with them, uh, which started in May this year. The aim of the project was to uh, assess the impact of COVID-19 on the livelihoods of these women uh, who are members of uh, the Self-Employed Women Association. And Self-Employed Women Association provides a lot of other kinds of benefits to these women. For instance, providing them saving and other kind of employment uh, opportunities, educational opportunities. Uh, They also manage the compensation for these women. For instance, in our surveys, we had been uh, giving women uh, who are being surveyed a compensation for participation, which is the food kit, uh, which is a small kit comprising of essential food items. So uh, the association itself is managing the distribution of these kits. So we simply reached out to them uh, to give us a list of respondents who would be interested in getting surveyed 
to assess the impact of COVID-19 on their livelihoods. Uh, that was our first starting point. And uh, what Self-Employed Women Association did for us was that it simply took out the list of members that they have and reached out to them personally to inquire about such kind of um, you know surveys. And we were actually in a very happy place at that moment. In in face-to-face interviews, there's a lot of planning required because you have to uh, go on field and try to obtain the list of numbers, make sure that they are working, screen them, and uh, there are a lot of other issues involved. Sometimes we don't even obtain the list of uh, the population living in the villages because we have to do randomizations and sampling. Whereas in phone surveys, we were quite happy in the beginning because we thought that uh, we would have a ready-made list of phone numbers which we can simply go ahead and call. That was the first impression. Unfortunately, Shweta and her team soon ran into many challenges with trying to run a phone survey in the middle of a pandemic. When Self-Employed Women Association tried to contact uh, their members uh, for the survey, interesting thing happened was that husbands or other members of the household were asking them to put their phone on speaker to know exactly who is calling them and for what reasons. And um, they were all suspicious for participation. They initially began with a list of around 1,000 or 900 numbers. And they, they gave us a list of around 800 numbers, confirmed, fully uh, spoken to already, who had agreed to take part in the service. And that's what we began with. Um, but uh, to our surprise, out of these uh, nearly 800 numbers, we were able to contact just 627 in the first round, which is like an attrition rate of nearly 27%. Why is that? It is possible that uh, the pandemic has infused so much confusion and chaos in their lives already that they do not want to take part in the surveys. Uh, something we lost uh, so many uh, numbers because they were incorrect or invalid. Something which we hadn't expected to come up. Shweta's team looked deeper into why the participation rate was so low. For instance, it depends on women empowerment. Uh, for example, that you know, because some of the women might not be included in important decision-making processes, they are discouraged to speak or to discuss their issues with someone else, or because of uh, naive reasons like distrust, you know, distrust with the enumerators. Simply, they do not trust who is calling them and for what reasons, and which is why they don't participate. But for other things, which is like invalid numbers, uh, this is something which is totally out of control. It is hundred percent possible that. Um, it was because of some technical error, but we also found that most women were not recharging their phones. We asked them and majority of the women also responded that they had reduced the expenditure on mobile phones because they considered them as unnecessary as compared to other essential expenses like food and water. Uh, and in India, you also have this um, service in which uh, if you are not able to reach a phone number uh, and it's uh, coming out to be switched off or not reachable for some reason, if it is because the phone is not recharged or does not have a talk time balance, then um, the automatic uh, voice also tells you that it is because of that reason. Can you talk a little bit more uh, about the other challenges that you faced during the phone service? So uh, most importantly, uh, as I mentioned, uh, there was a challenge in addressing the enumerators and doing the training exercises because uh, when you have face-to-face service, you can simply explain the enumerators before you even go out on field. Uh, you have to uh, train your uh, team well in the questionnaire and there's a lot of input that um, even the survey team can provide you in uh, designing your questions better. Uh, so this was one challenge that I faced in uh, conducting this exercise of training enumerators. We had about 30 enumerators and now they were all to be trained virtually. Uh, most of them did not have a proper internet access as that, at that time, at the time of training. 
I had to uh, cut down my uh, training exercise into one simple exercise into four training exercises in the sense that instead of training all of uh, the enumerators together, I had to train them in groups of three to four. So that that, that was one challenge. Secondly, as I mentioned, um, there were issues in reaching out to the respondents because a lot uh, of them were found to be incorrect or invalid. So the third point that we learned, uh, which I would say a learning and not a challenge, but something to keep in mind in future surveys, especially when you're doing them over phone, is, as I mentioned, that uh, the association informed us that uh, the participants were uh, putting their phones on speaker before they even uh, participate in a survey. So we, when we learned about this, we immediately um, incorporated this question in our surveys to find out with the sole aim of you know, excluding uh, women about asking questions which were sensitive. So we asked the respondents if the phones were on speaker in a very naive way uh, and if they said that they were we simply did not ask them the sensitive questions such as intra-household conflict because these questions are sensitive and we want to ensure the respondent is in a private space before they even answer them to avoid any household uh, you know uh, conflict or issues from their end but eventually um, when we started analyzing the data we get to realize that the speakerphone also impacts responses in some way. Can you talk a little bit about your findings from the speaker, how speaker phones affect women's responses? With regards to speaker phone, what we found was that the most visible impact, which is even tested by our analysis, is that there is a difference in the way women respond to intra-household decision-making questions. For instance, if you have a speaker phone on, then more women report that their husband or any other primary male member uh, is the one who decides how to spend her income or his income. But if your phone speaker is off, then she reports herself as the major decision maker with regards to that. It shows how privacy can impact the responses of women to uh, questions which cover empowerment. That's fascinating. Was that an unexpected finding? We didn't even have the question about speakerphone or privacy in our original research question. We began with how COVID-19 and pandemic affects the livelihoods of women. But now we are writing a paper about how speakerphone can impact or bias, which is something we have to prove, the responses to these type of questions. And I'm sure that's going to be so useful as the pandemic goes on and more and more researchers continue to do phone surveys. Exactly. This is this is what it makes more interesting. And also um, another reason why my portfolio has changed, because now I'm interested in studying the methodology of conducting surveys and how change in mode of administration can impact uh, your data quality. And yes, this is going to be very useful. And uh, several organizations have even started including a question on speakerphone because it, it prompts you that you should look or analyze your data from a different perspective. It's possible that women are, you know, suspicious about everything that you ask, which is not very likely, but still, it at least um, points you out that this is something which has not been controlled for or this has not been something uh, which is fixed by previous studies. There's a lot of research which has gone into how to ensure privacy of the respondent and how lack of privacy or presence of a third party can impact the answers, especially to sensitive questions. But this is very peculiar. Nobody has thought how a naive action of using the phone on speaker, because in India, several people do that. Like we have seen older people, for instance, those who are not able to hear properly, they put the phone on speaker and talk to their relatives or friends. But how in research world this can impact? I think this is something which hasn't been thought about previously. And definitely many organizations are going to benefit from this.
which is why we are documenting it and writing about it and even researching more probably um, may do some more rigorous analysis in future as well about it the actual results of shweta and her colleagues phone survey the first round of several has turned out to be just as interesting as the challenges they found along the way so around 90% of the respondents said that they were affected in terms of income loss they faced an income loss because of the resulting pandemic and the lockdown to which nearly 80% responded that they had uh, responded by reducing the consumption which is very significant most importantly we found you know differential impacts across occupation and regions for instance um, women who were employed as vendors street vendors and are living in urban areas so street vendors is uh, street vendors are mostly urban population whereas farming and other kinds of activities were in rural areas so we found that uh, women who are employed as street vendors they face the problem of food insecurity or lack of food more than other kinds of respondents for instance those who are working as farmers there were also problems that because of um, lack of mobility or uh, movement restrictions and most of them responded that they were not able to go outside to buy essential items like food and meet their friends or you know any other kind of essential activity most of them also uh, responded by increasing the care towards the household members both male and female in equal number of hours so these were some of the key points most of them also um, nearly 20% of the respondent also said that they had changed the types of occupation which we expected for instance there was a shift among farmers to casual labors which is simply easy to do because both of them they 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 basically easy to do and most of the respondents they changed their occupation in order to cope up with the income losses their children also had to face school dropouts uh, with more female dropouts than um, dropouts for the male child As the pandemic continues, more and more researchers wonder how to best carry on with their field work. There's a growing unrest among the research world that they want to go back to the field because they know the merits of doing a face-to-face interview and it helps you basically understand the ground reality what's happening on field. You can do so much. It adds a lot of credibility uh, in the person who is interviewing or uh, you know present there, which is something missing in phone surveys. So I personally feel that uh, you know some of the an important research question here is if phone surveys are better than um, face-to-face interviews. There is no one answer as to if phone surveys or any other mode of administration is better than the other one because the success or failure of of any mode of administration is not static it depends on subjective factors like the type of respondent you're serving the survey population the survey team that you have study type and also geographical location all these things keep on changing with studies and there's no one way by which you can measure the progress of your surveys Thanks so much to Shweta Gupta for her time. Her project is under the BMZ project funded by the Federal Government of Germany. To learn more about BMZ in South Asia, you can go to the IFPRI homepage ifpri.org and type in BMZ in the search box. You can also find Shweta and her colleagues' blog post on this specific project on the landing page for this podcast episode. This is the last episode of Research Talks. If you missed any episode, you can find them all by googling IFPRI and Research Talks. I am Sivanya Seth, and it's been so fun being your host. 
A big thank you to our talented editor, Jennifer Weingart, and our wonderful communications team. They include Drew Sample, Michael Goh, Jamin Follick, Lee Dixon, Pat Folks, Indira Yaramareddy, Sarah Edwards, Smitha Agarwal, and Rajal Pandyar-Lorch. And thank you to our listeners for joining us from all over the world. Stay tuned to future podcasts from IFPRI. Till next time.